Today, I'm signing a new executive order to end another egregious abuse of federal power. Whatever. Why? I got the feeling that something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From in the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on 91.7 FM KYAQ and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI News Radio. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on the Green Renaissance Network, WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9 FM. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR Public Reality Radio. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Intertubes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker. Muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, remember uh, remember during Donald Trump's joint address to Congress uh, back in, uh, when was that, Desi Doyne? Do you remember? I think that was, it was February. Well, yeah, it would have been around the, it was around the time of when we would normally have a State of the Union address. It seems forever ago. Yes. I think it was in February, uh, his, his not State of the Union address, but it was a, a essentially a State of the Union. Uh, he mentioned something about a new office that would be part of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, or ICE, uh, that he promised uh, to open this office called the Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement Office. Oh, yes. Remember that? Voice. Voice was the acronym. that's right. Now, supposedly it was to help those victims who were, those people who were victims of crimes that were committed by immigrants because, you know, he ran during his campaign Saying there was this uh, immigrant crime wave, crime crime wave, right, uh, being caused by immigrants, by undocumented immigrants, uh, even though, as we reported many times on this show, that uh, immigrants immigrants commit crimes at a far lower rate than non-immigrants. Americans, native borns, yeah, yeah, exactly. Americans are much better at crime than uh, (laughs) than immigrants, and the fact is, it makes sense because they don't want to be deported after all, so they don't want to come into the country and then start, you know, committing crimes if they can help it. So nonetheless, in this desperate scramble that we're now in for the administration to try and to try and make it appear that they've actually accomplished at least some of the stuff that they promised to do in the first hundred days, uh, Department of Homeland Security officials, DHS officials scrambled this week to announce a new public database that was part of this voice program said to be for helping victims of suspected 
criminal immigrants. And this database would list the names and, and other information of those criminals in this public database. It was launched yesterday. They hurried to get it out. It was launched yesterday. It was called the DHS Victim Information Notification Exchange, or DHS Vine. They were apparently they rushed to get it out because uh, yesterday, as uh, the New York Times, I'm sorry, the L.A. Times reports this afternoon, a public database that the Trump administration said would help crime victims to track the custody of suspected criminal immigrants apparently lists babies what? and other children. Oh, my goodness. The names of children from infants to underage teenagers uh, who happen to be in immigration custody for any particular reason were included in this database. When alerted late Wednesday, Department of Homeland Security officials said that the release of these children's names was a lapse in the policy. I'll say... The agency is not supposed to release information on children in immigration custody, according to the uh, acting Homeland Security press secretary there. For example, a three-year-old boy from El Salvador detained in Texas who is at the Carnes Residential Center, that's an immigration detention center, uh, was listed in this public database. Wow. A four-year-old Guatemalan girl in Phoenix were among apparently scores of children listed in this uh, in this public system. The database also included unaccompanied minors, children who came to the U.S. without their parents who are currently being held in group homes. Brian Johnson uh, was the first to notice this uh, problem while he was testing out the system. Johnson is based in, LA, in Long Island, New York, and he uh, frequently uh, defends children who are brought into the U.S. illegally. He called it, quote, reckless incompetence on the part of the Trump administration. In their haste, he said, to pretend like they care about victims of immigrant crimes, the Trump administration released personally identifiable information regarding vulnerable children at risk of human trafficking and other crimes. He said they should just take down this database and do it right, which would basically show that it's a farce because he says it would be close to impossible to create a database where only detainees uh, listed had quote unquote victims in them. The office uh, ICE uh, also announced that uh, this this toll free hotline for crime reports and to offer support to other to uh, to victims. Did you hear about this? No. Uh, this toll free number. No. Apparently, it has been uh, completely swamped with either someone or people calling in and uh, making comments about aliens from outer space. Oh. <laughs> Oh, so instead of instead of people who are illegally in the country, aliens, they're talking about right. space aliens. Appar- apparently so. Yay. So you can't Hooray get through for people you, who made sure you can. There you go. Oh my goodness! You can't get through to this eight hundred number. That's great. Um, uh, critics uh, argue that uh, Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly's announcement of all of these new new programs were more about politics at the hundred day mark. You think of the administration uh, rather than public safety. Um, uh, This is not the first screw up for this entire adventure. Under Trump, apparently ICE uh, began publishing reports on the cities and other jurisdictions that were releasing immigrants from jail um, or after arrest, supposedly flouting requests by the federal government to hold certain immigrants for transfer to federal detention. But the uh, first few reports, the L.A. Times says, 
uh, were apparently plagued by errors. In some cases, ICE mixed up names, confusing, for example, Franklin counties in Iowa, uh, New York and Pennsylvania. There's three Uh, separate ones. That's kind of a problem. In other cases, detainees had already been picked up by ICE or had never even been uh, uh, released in the first place. Uh, ICE has suspended publications of those reports as they try to figure out how they screwed that up. Uh, More on the response, the panicked response uh, to Trump's 100 days, uh, what did he call it, barrier? Yeah. Uh, artificial barrier. It's not, a, not a barrier. <laughs> not a, it's a, not a great landmark. Word uh, or a benchmark, you could you say. Go. A milestone. Well, words uh, are not his strong suit. No, so. they're not. Uh, anyway, we'll have uh, more on this uh, 100 Days Panic with my guest uh, coming up from the Center for Biological Diversity regarding Trump's executive order yesterday. Again, another one of these hurry up, let's get it out before 100 days uh, at the Interior Department where Donald Trump hopes to, for the first time in U.S. history, actually undo, there's not even a word for this, uh, reverse, I guess. Revoke, reverse, revoke national monuments that have been declared. There's not even really a word for it. I know, well, because it's not in the law. There's no law to do this. He's just calling on calling on it to be done, calling on Ryan Zinke, the uh, Interior Department secretary, to figure out a way to make this happen, to figure out how to reverse national monuments that have been declared by the past three presidents. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk to her about that and about the, uh, the big upcoming uh, People's March for Climate this uh, this Saturday. The people continue to march, don't they? Uh, Documents released on Thursday reveal that former Navy security advisor Michael Flynn was specifically warned in 2014 not to take money from foreign governments without advance permission and that uh, he is now under investigation by the Pentagon's inspector general for possibly violating the law. Congressman Elijah Cummings, the highest ranking Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, released a Defense Intelligence Agency letter sent to the former Army Lieutenant General as he entered retirement. Remember, he headed the DIA. He was in charge of the Defense Intelligence Agency for a while until he was removed from that position by uh by Obama for a a number of improprieties. Uh, So as he retired, he was sent this letter, which specifically tells Flynn that he cannot accept fees and gifts from foreign governments, quote, unless congressional consent is first obtained. The Pentagon's warning to General Flynn was bold, italicized, and could not have been clearer, according to uh, Cummings. Today, speaking to reporters, a second letter also released by Cummings, shows that the Inspector General of the Department of Defense is investigating whether Flynn received proper permission, in fact, to take these funds. A Department uh, Defense Department spokesman confirmed that Flynn, uh, that the Flynn probe was opened on April 4 into this into this issue, which could violate the U.S. Constitution's emolument clause against foreign governments giving uh, giving gifts as it were, to uh, to official American officials, which apparently applies to those in the military. Speaking after Congressman Cummings, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut described this newly released information as damning. This subject is really deadly serious because 
it is a matter of national interest and national security. The evidence that Representative Cummings just outlined is powerful, mounting, incontrovertible evidence that there has been a violation of criminal law. This evidence is powerful in showing that General Flynn broke significant criminal laws, the DIA letter, the DOD letter, the Inspector General letter, all testify to a flagrant violation of federal criminal statutes that must be investigated and prosecuted. That was Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut uh, speaking today about uh, the confirmation that Michael Flynn is being probed by the by the inspector general's office. And that is good since the both the uh, the House and Senate intelligence committees seem to be slow walking all of this. The Republicans who lead those committees seem to be slow walking uh, all of this uh, investigation into uh, Donald Trump's campaign and Russia and so forth. Flynn, you'll recall, had resigned in February after allegedly misleading Trump administration officials about conversations with Russian officials. That was just 24 days uh, after Flynn had taken office. Uh, He is now under fire because he received nearly $34,000 in December of 2015 for speaking at a gala celebrating Russian TV and more than Half a million dollars for lobbying work on behalf of the Turkish government. Now, in and of itself, none of those things are illegal. But uh, in in his case, as a a member of the military, uh, a federal official, he has to get permission to get that money before he is paid that money. He also has to file as a foreign agent, which he has now done retroactively. He did this, I think, in March after he had already been fired. So this is a big deal. It's also a big deal because, uh, A, it might have, uh, you know, left him open to uh, to blackmail had this uh, information about these payments not been made available. And it's also a big deal because as investigations of varying types uh, from the FBI to Congress and so forth move forward into Trump and Russia, uh, you might find Flynn wanting to help himself if he's, uh, you know, facing criminal prosecution. He might want to help himself and um, start singing. If there's anything to know, he might start singing it. Uh, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer today described the inspector general probe as, quote, appropriate. If they think there's wrongdoing, he said, then the department's inspector general should look into that. Spicer said Flynn did not undergo a security review what? before he was named Trump's first national security advisor. Are they unclear about the word security? You know, national security advisor going through a security review? It seems like the word security is is, is, is essential in there. Uh, I guess so much for the extreme vetting that Donald Trump had promised. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Spicer said, why would you run or rerun a background check on someone who was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency that had and did maintain a high security clearance, a high level security clearance. So apparently back in 2014, he had gone through a, uh, uh, a background check under the Obama administration. Essentially, the the uh, Sean Spicer seemed to be blaming the Obama administration for this, that they failed in some fashion or another, even though the Obama administration dismissed Flynn. 
A former senior White House official familiar with ethics and security clearance told NBC News that uh, during the administration of former President Barack Obama, the White House Counsel's Office always conducted its own background investigation of candidates for senior White House jobs, even if they had already held previous security clearances. So what he's saying is it doesn't matter that Obama had uh, already run a a clearance check. That was three years ago. Right. And those reviews included questionnaires and interviews would have included questions such as whether the candidates had drug problems, had hired prostitutes or had personal or financial problems, according to this former former official. And in this case, I suppose they might have asked, hey, in the last three years, have you taken money from uh, foreign entities? And if so, did you get permission to do that? Earlier this week, Congressman Cummings joined Republican Congressman Jason Chaffetz, um, who who said that uh, Flynn may have violated the law by not disclosing these payments. He said, I see no information or, or data to support the notion that General Flynn complied with the law. That was Republican Jason Chaffetz saying that. He's chair of the Oversight Committee. Uh, that's what he told NBC News on uh, on Tuesday night. So uh, more to come from that. A lot of folks talking about that in, today. And, of course, a lot of folks talking about this mad scramble uh, before Friday. I'm sorry. Yeah, before midnight on Friday. To uh, to refund to fund the government there uh, right now, the plan is for. Oh, Republicans. yeah, there's that. By yeah. The way. <laughs> Republicans and, and Democrats are, have been trying to work out a, a plan, a, a budget. They've come up with what they call a CR, a continuing resolution that they plan uh, to pass before the deadline on Friday in order to keep the government open for another week as they finish, as they complete uh, uh, final negotiations on a budget. But uh, but Donald Trump has uh, well, he's tried to screw that up. He first came in on uh, earlier this week and and said that if you don't include money for my wall, my border wall that Mexico was supposed to pay for, if Democrats don't uh, allow that into this budget, then we may just shut the whole government down, which would be amazing to see that happen with a Republican in the White House and Republicans leading both chambers of Congress. And now they seem to be uh, trying to screw it up further by rushing through this amended um, repeal and replace plan to uh, to repeal and replace Obamacare. They're talking about trying to get that passed in a hurry. This uh, new amended version, which would make the uh, the bill that was already going to 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 knock out health care for some 24 million people. um, They've made it worse. But that makes the far right uh, Freedom Caucus in the House like it much better. They said they're now on board. Is there going to be enough votes now to pass this in the House? They're now calling for a vote on Friday or on Saturday. And Democrats in response have said, hey, if you rush a vote through on this, we're not even going to vote for the continuing resolution. Good. I mean, the the bill that they've put forth, as I understand it, is is. The previous one was cruel enough. This is more cruel and more craven and will hurt their base even more than the one before. I just it doesn't make sense. So it's all of this panic, all of this this mess that frankly is embarrassing to Republicans, embarrassing to the Trump administration. But you know what else might be embarrassing for Donald Trump? 
This Saturday, on his 100th day in office, it might be embarrassing if hundreds of thousands of folks come out yet again to hit the streets in protest of his policies. Yes, it happened on the day after his inauguration when far more Americans uh, came out to protest in D.C. alone in the in the Women's March than came to his inauguration the day before. It happened again last weekend with the March for Science, and it may happen again this week, this Saturday, on Trump's 100th day in office at the nationwide, worldwide People's Climate March. That story and more next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Get ready for the glorious comeback of our people, oh yeah. Rise up. All you warriors of love, all you answers to the prayers of our ancestors from above. I can feel it in my heart, can you feel it in your blood? I can hear the seven fire calling us to wake up, wake up. All nations rise. Yep, welcome rise back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was All Nations Rise by Lila June, a... Uh, a music video released to announce the Center for Biological Diversity's hashtag Earth to Trump campaign. When launching the campaign of resistance against President Trump, the nonprofit group warned no president has ever come into office promising to do so much damage to so many people in so many ways as has President Donald Trump. They, uh, they charge that he threatens our nation's democracy, health, and environment, and without resistance he will dismantle the Environmental Protection Agency, gut the Clean Air and Endangered Species Act, raid our public lands, eliminate regulations protecting poor communities from pollution, deport millions, take away our reproductive freedom, and force already oppressed people to live in fear. As the 100th day of Donald Trump's presidency now looms, he has been desperate to pass legislation, uh, any legislation, uh, to and, and announce initiatives in hopes of masking the failure that his administration has been so far in passing any of the major leg legislative initiatives promised in his 100 days contract with the American people that was unveiled during his campaign. Um, and he just has not had a lot of success there. But while there have been a, a flurry of executive orders signed by Trump in the first hundred days, many of those have been blocked by the courts as uh, likely unlawful and or unconstitutional. And many others 
are simply aspirational, calling for reviews of this or that. Yesterday, for example, on the broadcast, we noted that one piece of legislation that was successfully passed by this Congress and signed by the president makes it easier for the mentally ill to purchase firearms. But that's not all that Trump and uh, that Trump and the Republicans have been able to accomplish legislatively. They've also passed a measure to roll back an Obama era regulation that barred bears and wolves from being shot and killed in their own dens or from airplanes. Uh, and of course, Trump has rolled back or has at least tried to myriad other regulations by previous administrations meant to protect uh, and curb excesses and uh, unfettered pollution by the fossil fuel industry. Many of those uh, regulations were adopted, as I said, to curb pollution to air and water, as well as reduce greenhouse gas emissions of carbon dioxide and methane, which are now warming the planet at an alarming rate. On Wednesday, then, Trump signed an executive order, remarkably attempting to roll back the designation of a number of national monuments by the last three presidents. They had used their constitutional and legal authority under the U.S. Antiquities Act, signed by President Teddy Roosevelt back in 1906 to protect public lands and used by every president since then to establish national parks, forests and monuments. Here was Donald Trump on Wednesday at the Interior Department signing uh, this executive order and describing the use of this 111-year-old Antiquities Act as, quote, an egregious abuse of federal power. Today I'm signing a new executive order to end another egregious abuse of federal power and to give that power back to the states and to the people where it belongs. The previous administration used a 100-year-old law known as the Antiquities Act to unilaterally put millions of acres of land and water under strict federal control. Have you heard about that? Eliminating the ability of the people who actually live in those states to decide how best to use that land. Today, we are putting the states back in charge. It's a big thing. <laughs> I guess they turned on the applause sign at that point. Uh, putting lands under federal control, as uh, Trump uh, described it, that's uh, putting lands under federal protection, others might say. In addition to moving towards uh, lifting public lands protections, at some 24 national monuments, including two large and controversial new monuments declared by President Obama just last year in Utah and Maine, Trump's order also directs federal officials to find ways to roll back Obama's ban on new oil drilling leases in the pristine Arctic and parts of the Atlantic Ocean off the East Coast. Moreover, Trump's first 100 days efforts at the uh, Environmental Protection Agency to slash the EPA's ability to protect the environment have at least succeeded in alarming environmentalists and scientists to the point where many of those efforts are now being challenged in federal court. And last weekend, we saw hundreds of thousands of folks turn out for the March for Science in more than 600 cities in all 50 states and around the world and this Saturday, April 29, environmentalists and those who simply give a damn about a livable planet are set to turn out for the People's Climate March, 
around both the nation and the world. Joining us to discuss all of the above and undoubtedly much more is Marta Segura. She is the Southern California Engagement Director for the Climate Law Institute at the Center for Biological Diversity, a nonprofit environmental organization with the modest mission of, quote, saving life on Earth, which they promise to do through science, law, and creative media with a focus on protecting the lands, waters, and climate that species, including humans, need to survive. The center's Climate Law Institute specifically was founded to confront global warming, and Marta is also on the Los Angeles Steering Committee for the People's Climate March to be held in California and around the world, as I said, this Saturday. Marta Segura, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate you having us on um, days before the march, so it's perfect timing. And uh, you really you know, set the stage and set the tone there. I'm not really sure what else you need me to talk about, but I'm here. Oh, I have a lot of (laughs) questions for you. I have a lot to ask you about. And, uh, well, first, let me thank you, uh, by the way, for calling in during yesterday's broadcast uh, to to correct our error, actually, Desi Doyen's error, (laughs) about the... uh, (laughs) About the location of the, uh, the the People's Climate March out here in L.A. this weekend. Uh, just to make sure we have it right, at least for our listeners in Los Angeles, so where is the actual march happening on Saturday here in L.A.? Yeah, the actual climate march is, is in the city of Los Angeles, but in the area known as Wilmington um, in Banning Park. So it's a city park. We're starting there, um, and that's at 1331 Eubank Avenue. And then we're um, having a rally. Jane Fonda is joining us. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is joining us. Unions, environmental organizations, social justice organizations are all there. Um, We have about 100 endorsements now. And so that's where it starts at 11 a.m. And we'll have a rally march, and then we'll return for the second part of the rally to to Banning Park. So the, the big question that I know a lot of people are probably asking, we just had a March for Science just last Saturday uh, in which many called for, for climate action uh, during that march. Why another march, this one specifically in, re- in response to the climate crisis uh, so soon thereafter? And I- is there a concern, Marta? That, uh, that folks will get marched out? I mean, I know I'm already exhausted just covering all of this at this point. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the, 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 the main difference between the Science March and the People's Climate March is, is, is also in the name. This march is for um, the representation and lifting the voices of frontline communities who are disproportionately impacted by the greenhouse gases and and pollution, and in particular in this area of Los Angeles, we have um, the vast majority of refineries in Southern California. And particularly, we're challenging the Tesoro refinery expansion uh, that will, if it, if it is allowed to expand by the Air Quality Management District, will be the largest refinery in the Western region. Mm. Um, and it will be expanding at a time when we really need reductions in greenhouse gases. Uh, and I want to uh, talk... And- yeah, go, no, go ahead. And I think that, uh, that that question people have asked themselves a lot, but so far every march has hit really historic numbers, mm-hmm. and people have um, their own issues to march on or all of the above mm-hmm. and are truly making it out to every march. Um, maybe not everybody at all the time, but certainly enough to make a statement and to 
challenge the mandates of this administration. I want to talk a little bit more. You mentioned the frontline communities, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about what that actually means. But uh, in my intro uh, there, I I mentioned uh, that Trump on Wednesday ordered this review of all national monument designations. Uh, made by previous presidents over the last 21 years. Uh, Two monuments uh, named by Obama, uh, specifically two monuments that were named by uh, him late in his presidency last year, uh, have infuriated Republicans. One of them is the Bears Ears National Monument. Uh, That comprises more than one million acres of land in Utah that are uh, sacred to Native Americans, home to tens of thousands of archaeological sites, uh, ancient cliff dwellings. Uh, do you have any idea why that in particular seems to have angered uh, Utah Republicans uh, so much? And what is actually at stake uh, in that battle over Bears Ears? Yeah, the, the Utah is, is, a, is a monument that has enraged everybody who wants to expand the fossil fuel industry. And I would say that in general, the agenda here of the Trump administration is to strengthen the fossil fuel industry and to give them lands and access to lands that have not been explored for for fossil fuels in which they, they suspect there'll be, there will be a lot of opportunity to make a lot of people and a lot of the um, mm-hmm. refineries very rich very fast. Is, so that's a very. Go ahead. Well, do we no numbers? Do we have uh, an idea? I know that the uh, the the outdoor recreation industry uh, actually announced that it was pulling its annual convention out of the state of Utah because of congressional Republicans' attempt to reverse protections for public lands. Uh, you mentioned the mining industry uh, benefits here. Uh, is do we understand the math as far as you know the the arguments that are made? Oh, this is uh, public lands; it puts it off off limits to commercial use. Um, it makes it sound like, hey, we could be making a lot of money there. But in fact, the outdoor industry, uh, recreation uh, industry, for example, there's a lot of money to be made on uh, on tourism in those lands. Do do we have a quantifiable numbers as far as who makes more money? Is it the oil industry or, in fact, these industries related to tourism and the outdoor recreation industry? You know, I don't have those numbers, but I am sure that, um, you know, that that would be a fantastic argument to make on behalf of the tourism industry. Um, I, I would just say, though, that stronger lobbyists and who has the ear of the Trump administration at this moment is probably fossil fuel. And that's why they're winning uh, his ear definitely getting favoritism from him at this time because they have made the argument that big government has, you know, infiltrated uh, state and local uh, government and that the state and local government need to take their power back. And the reason that I feel that that benefits the Trump administration is that the federal government has a lot more power to control local municipalities and state government if if the federal government... Uh, jurisdiction isn't assigned. So that is a strategic move on the Trump administration's part to be able to authorize and license more uh, mining and uh, uh, destructive industries in those public lands. 
The Antiquities Act of 1906, which uh, Donald Trump seems to be amazed at, uh, it seems to have just learned about it, apparently. Uh, it, yeah. it, of course, has been used by Obama and all other presidents since Teddy Roosevelt to name national parks and monuments. Uh, the, and the 1953 law that was used by Obama to permanently ban leases on offshore oil uh, uh, drilling in the Arctic uh, and in the uh, in the Atlantic off the East Coast. Those laws do not specifically, as I understand it, uh, offer any way for subsequent presidents to undo the specifications of the president. In other words, the president can declare a national monument under this law, but there's nothing in that law uh, that that allows a, a, a subsequent president to overturn it. Um, w- w- if, in fact, there is a challenge against that 1906 uh, law, um, do you think that will hold up in court? And and. What would the Republicans, I guess, at this point need to do to change that? Would new legislation be required there? Um, I believe so, because I do think that um, the Trump administration is, is setting a bad precedent in, in trying to eliminate all of the laws established by the previous presidency or even other presidencies before him. Mm-hmm. The presidents after Trump will then come in and and waste taxpayer dollars in trying to undo whatever President uh, Trump did. But I think the bigger the bigger picture here is that uh, you know he's claiming that for the for this executive order that the government has had a land grab on on these lands across the nation and has taken control without the consent of the people. And I believe that uh, I don't believe that that I think he's misusing that term, as you suggested earlier in the interview, and he's basically just trying to control these lands um, so that he could benefit the, the industries. And the people are the ones benefiting from these public lands right now. That is the mere definition of public lands. They are there for the people to use, to recreate, to show their children and their children's children. And if he is successful, um, we will eliminate a large part of our cultural heritage, our environmental heritage, and we are stealing from our children and our grandchildren um, for the benefit of the, you know, uh, refineries and the mining industry, which are just affecting climate change uh, even faster than we had um, than we had anticipated. And it'll be a bigger crisis if, if that happens. But luckily, there are a lot of Great organizations like ours, the Center for Biological Diversity, NRDC, Sierra Club, Patagonia, who are challenging these um, ill-informed laws every step of the way. And so far, he hasn't been successful in getting any of these major um, legislations out there without being uh, sued and without being slowed down. So our main strategy is to ensure that we put this all out there for for public review and make sure that uh, federal judges across the nation um, weigh in, and it's not just the Trump administration calling the shots, because if we allow that to happen, then then we will have lost a lot. Um, the destruction of the Environmental Protection Agency is not the only thing. The destruction of the CDC, the destruction of everything that protects people's health, um, people's um, environment, mm-hmm. and social services. So it would be a very different United States, one that we wouldn't recognize. Um, nobody who is alive today would really recognize the kind of era that he's trying to shower in because we live in an era where we don't, 
we, we do take things for granted because we have always had them. But once those things are taken away, public land access, public health access, um, Obamacare, um, these, these massive, you know, deportations, mm-hmm. this is definitely something that is scary to not just um, poor people or immigrants or the marginalized, but I think everybody who believes in human rights, who believes in individual rights, and who believes in conservation. A primary focus, I know, of the uh, Climate Law Institute at the uh, Center for Biological Diversity, where, where you are, uh, is environmental justice. And that's a, and assisting frontline uh, communities, as you note, in, in cleaning up the communities. We hear the phrase environmental justice now pop up more and more from progressives and environmentalists. Uh, what, what do you, what does that mean, environmental justice, as you see it? And and who are these frontline community? What is, I guess, a frontline community as you see it, as the Climate Law Institute defines uh, those phrases? Right. Well, in, environmental, the environmental justice movement started um, before President Clinton became president, because I know that President Clinton signed the executive order for environmental justice communities. Mm-hmm. So it's been around at least a good 30 years now, and I believe the father of environmental justice was Cesar Chavez himself because he battled against the, um, the, the, the crops that were being sprayed by pesticides to protect farm workers, mm-hmm. many of which were born, many of the children which were born with uh, deformities and autism, and, and all of that started to happen in the late 1980s. And that recognition brought recognition under the Clinton administration to create that executive order. Because these frontline communities, um, and I'll define it in a second, like I said earlier, are disproportionately impacted because they happen to live in zip codes where the industries are, where the freeways are, where the refineries are, where the pollutants are. And it's not just one source, but multiple sources, which we call cumulative sources and cumulative impact. And the community of Wilmington, Los Angeles, happens to be a toxic hotspot, and it's been uh, declared a toxic hotspot by scientists and by the city of L.A. because there is a recognition that it's not just the refineries, but it's also the pollutants from the diesel, from the trucks, from the um, transportation of all the stuff that's happening at the harbor, the goods movement, and also the factories surrounding it. So we believe that frontline communities have long been disregarded, have not been given the voice, have not been given a seat at the table. So frontline communities have taken that seat and lifted their voices. And this particular march and marches across the nation are being called the People's Climate March to to lift the voices of those frontline communities so that they can say, hey, we're the ones that are like the canary in the coal mine. Mm. We're getting asthma, leukemia, disabilities, autism, cancer, at the highest rates and the highest levels, but that does not mean that the rest of you are not impacted. The rest of you are going to be impacted much more so eventually, if not just by the pollutants, also by the climate crisis. So if you see what's happening to us and you listen to what's happening to us in our communities and we all work together to resist you know, the expansion of greenhouse gases and air pollutants and water pollutants, we can win this battle together. Marta, uh, got just a minute or so here. Uh, many people, I, I think, feel powerless to some extent in the 
Well, certainly in the face of climate change uh, and pollution, but especially now during the uh, during the Trump administration, when so many years of, of work and gains that were made uh, under the Obama administration um, seem to be slipping away. What does the what does the Center for Biological Diversity say to folks like that, folks who are exhausted, dispirited, um, and, uh, you know, otherwise feel like, uh, w- w- you know, things are, are quickly becoming hopeless under this particular presidency? So we've, we've battled storms like this before, um, definitely under the Nixon administration um, and other storms that were similar to this under the Reagan administration. And sometimes we've even done better under conservative houses and conservative presidencies because the people wake up and the people rise up and the people resist because they know that they can't take their their liberty, their environment, and their health for granted. So what we're seeing today is um, is a movement that's building and it's helping to create accountable leadership, accountable elected officials. It's pressing all the right buttons so that people understand and that the leadership understands that we're not going to take this lying down and we know we we've won we've won some of our greatest environmental progress under republican administrations because the people have been uh fighting and marching and resisting not because of them but because of the people those changes were made so i think that that gives us all a lot of hope and uh and all of the environmental organizations and ACLU and social justice organizations are actually being strengthened right now by the membership, by the volunteerism, by the contributions and donations. So we're trying to be very strategic and work together and file these lawsuits um, so that we can win. For example, there's a lawsuit against the border wall. The Center for Biological Diversity is at the center of that, and we are in in an intersectional fight. We are collaborating with immigrant rights organizations. We're collaborating with criminal justice reform organizations because nobody wants the militarization of the wall, which creates um, inhumane conditions for, for us all, but particularly the immigrants. Mm. So when we fight together and we create intersectional movements together, that really weakens the power of the corrupt administrations like the Trump administration. And, and I just want to say one more time to everybody listening that we have experience doing this before, and we have experience winning under these kinds of times um, that are really threatening to all of us. So don't lose heart. Just get involved. Come out to the People's Climate March in L.A. and everywhere in the nation. Peoplesclimate.org is where you'll find the information across the nation for your march in your city or near your city. And get involved and join us, please. And we can win this together. Marta Segura is the Southern California Engagement Director for the Climate Law Institute at the Center for Biological Diversity. You can get more information and support their work at biologicaldiversity.org. You can find and follow them on the Twitters at Center for BioDiv. And as Marta said, uh, you can get more information on a People's Climate March near you at peoplesclimate.org. Marta Segura, greatly appreciate you joining us today, uh, and good luck at the uh, at the upcoming march over the weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad and Desi. I appreciate the invitation and hope to talk to you guys soon. The pleasure is ours. All right, a quick break, and we're back with our last few minutes here on the broadcast today. Uh, and I think maybe we'll turn to Bill Maher, Desi Doyen. So cue that up. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As long as we're talking about Earth today, planet Earth, Desi Doyen, uh, you've talked many times about going to Mars and about (laughs) the effort to get to Mars. Yep. Uh, A lot of environmentalists do. Yes. Bill Maher had a thought or two on that uh, last weekend. This was actually the day before Earth Day, the day before the March for Science. Let's give that a listen. New rule tomorrow in honor of Earth Day. Everyone has to shut up about Mars. (laughs) Shut up about Mars and how cool it would be to live there and start over someplace new. Like we're the Chinese moving to Vancouver. This is a dangerous idea that our culture is already too taken with, that we can keep on trashing Earth because we got Mars, this fun new happening spot. Come on, Bill, don't be a stick in the solar system. Red is the new green. It's the party planet right next door. Mars, more like Mars-a-lago. It's practically eaten if you don't mind growing dinner in Matt Damon's pool. (laughs) Well, I do mind. We need to quash this stupid fantasy that Mars is a perfectly reasonable planetary backup. Movies, TV shows, magazines, and this constant drumbeat to get to Mars, explore Mars, colonize Mars. To paraphrase Jan Brady, Martians, Martians, Martians. Budweiser announced they're investigating how to brew quality beer on Mars. Something they can't even do here. (laughs) Billionaires talk about Mars like it's Margaritaville. Amazon's Jeff Bezos wants to go, and so does Tesla's Elon Musk, who wants us to have a million people living there in 50 years, and says we gotta be a multi-planet species. (laughs) Richard Branson says, I'm determined to be a part of starting a population on Mars. Even Donald Trump, who isn't a real billionaire, but plays one on TV, favors Mars over Earth. His budget slashes the EPA, but last month he signed a bill calling for a manned mission to Mars by 2033, which NASA estimates would cost $450 billion. Here's a crazy idea. If we're going to take up the challenge to overhaul a planet, let's do this one.
Let me spell this out in terms simple enough for Steve Ducey to understand so he can explain it to Donald Trump. <laughs> Mars is an airless, lifeless, freezing hole. I mean, just for starters, I'm a big fan of some Earth-only attractions, like breathing. This is kind of a must with me when I book travel. They almost always throw in oxygen which Mars has none of. And if your spacesuit gets a small rip in it, carbon dioxide will mix with your oxygen, causing your skin to dry up, your brain to shrink, your hair to whiten, and your eyes to sink into your skull. It's true, your eardrums would rupture and the water on your eyes would dissolve. So would the water in your mouth when you opened it to say, ow, my eyes. <laughs> The temperature on Mars at night runs a balmy 76 below to a quite chilly minus 225, so remember to bring a sweater. <laughs> hey, you want to explore something cold and hard? How about the facts? Facts that confirm climate change is killing us, but completely doable policies could reverse it. We hear a lot about putting America first. Let's put Earth first. Millions of years of evolution shaped us to thrive here and only here on Earth. Earth, it's kind of essential. Would you go see a band called Wind and Fire? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mars is a mirage, not an oasis. Look at this scientific chart. Mars, no air. Earth, air. <laughs> Earth, food. Mars, Matt Damon <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> Earth, mostly water. Mars, maybe a little water far below the surface, or maybe not. In any event, don't bother waiting for the busboy to fill your glass. Mars, eight months away by spaceship. Earth, you're here. You're here. You're home. Stop looking for the Goldilocks planet. This is it. Mars doesn't have cool breezes or trees or mangoes or butterflies. There's no kale for liberals. No opioids for conservatives. There's no waterfalls, no hot springs, no rainforests, no rainbows. In the greatest song ever about the environment, Don Henley sang, there is no more new frontier. We have got to make it here. I don't want to be a multi-planet species. F Mars. <laughs> it's time to make Earth great again. <laughs> Well done, Bill Maher, Desi Doyen, as you always like to say, there is no planet B. That's right. This is it. 
My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Marta Segura of the Center for Biological Diversity, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, planet Earth. <laughs>